G'day legends, I hope that you're doing really well. Now we have another interview and this gentleman will have to stay anonymous both by voice and by photographs which have had some slight altering just to hide anything that could identify this man. Now I'd like to thank him very much for coming on to speak to me. We've known each other for many months now but just have not been able to actually link up a time being very busy. I'd like to thank you guys again for watching and supporting these interviews. Also, I'm always looking for more guests for interviews from different battles, different armies, whatever. So please point them in my direction or me in their direction if you can think of someone who would be good for this. Thank you very much. Enjoy. Well, firstly, look, I'll, I'll start recording. Um, but firstly, I just, I just want to thank you for um, actually, you know, you and I getting in touch Shit, it must be a good few months now um, that we've actually been in touch and meaning to do this. Yeah, well, I've been, I haven't really done any interviews. I kind of stay away from that just because it's a lot of, it's not really my thing, you know. I'd like to kind of post on social media about my life and, you know, personal stuff, you know. Nothing, I hate when I see people running to the media and try to make a big story about everything. Yeah, I, I can I can completely understand that. Um from your end absolutely but look um thank you so much for you know actually doing this with me reaching out you know back and forward chatting and whatever and i just really want to ask like why in the beginning did you go to ukraine i just want to set up like um a bit about who you are and what this means to you so i got out of the u.s marine corps in 2019 i did four years and I enjoyed it a lot and I was trying to okay let me let me rewind even more because it's a really long story so when I was 17 years old I tried to join the YPG in Syria and I ran I only got to Germany and I was about to board the plane to Iraq and I was like what am I doing with my life fucking 17 18 years old I no no direction no nothing so I always sat in Germany for a bit and I was just thinking what I should be doing and I ended up flying back to USA. I ended up joining the US Marine Corps and I did my four years and I enjoyed it, but I was still wanting more. I still wanted to go fight. I wanted to see the world. And I remember seeing all these other foreigners going and just doing, taking the offbeat path, you know, hmm. and, uh, Got to 2019, and I still have that itch I wanted to do, and I contacted a guy who was in the YPG, and he's saying, yeah, everybody's uh, up and left. It's over, man. You you, you missed it. And they're just fighting the Turkish military, which is something I wanted to stay away from because it's, you know, an ally and that you can get caught for the terrorism. So he's like, yeah, just come over to Ukraine, and I'll help you out then, and so I got in contact and I started speaking more and more with them. And uh, coincidentally, I spoke to a guy off Instagram who was a Ukrainian. And he said, yeah, I recommend this unit. And there was maybe a, five foreigners at the time. I ended up um, quitting my job, leaving my girl, just going. And yeah, uh, the Ukrainian people and the history and the culture, it kind of just resonated, resonated with me. And I... I really enjoyed my time here for the last three years about. So you'd been in Ukraine for three years, so like a year yes. and a half oh, prior. A little over three years, actually. Yeah, right. And what was it that first attracted you to go to Ukraine? Uh, just kind of um, doing my own thing. And I remember reading a whole bunch of 
like stuff in history books about the volunteers of World War One and World War Two and all these African uh, mercenaries. <laughs> I know I want to. I don't want to be associated with that, but I remember seeing uh, some. Was it Alan Seeger? Was his name? He wrote "I Have a Rendezvous with Death." Yes. He was an American who went to France before uh, USA, the USA got involved, and um, he became an ambulance driver. And that really was one of my pushes. Just kind of like. I'm not gonna say choose that lifestyle, but that was an inspiration for me, you know. And seeing these foreign battalions of uh, the Spanish Civil War and World War II going over, and you know, it, it, I really like that. And I, I kind of wanted to be like my, my uh, I wanted I wanted to be remembered, you know. I wanted to do something and look back on when I'm 80 years old and have something different. Yeah, right. And, and how did that change for you when you when the first? Um parts of this war then kicked off or were you serving um yes i was prior. serving so i was in the southern region of ukraine yes in, well, i'm not really exactly sure but it was uh, either mikolaya no it was odessa i was on some base and i remember um it's like a, a day before the the russian peacekeepers said they do that with uh fingers but they walked into um the donbass region and girl playing uno <laughs> we're like fuck some we knew something was gonna go down but at, at the same time we didn't we we thought this whole war would just you know it wasn't gonna happen it was gonna be just a continuation of the stalemate mm -hmm. i remember it was 5 30 in the morning and my commander russian rushes in he's like everybody get the fuck up and they throw RPDs and magazines, and they were just loading. And I, I still couldn't believe it. And I still, for like two hours after, like, what is, like, what is going on? And then in the distance, I hear from the Russian missiles hitting different targets around the Odessa region. And the ride into the city was very, it was, it was some, I, I remember everything so perfectly. We were one of the only few vehicles heading towards what was coming and on the sides of the road there are hundreds of people walking trying to escape using the grocery stores emptying the bank uh how do you say atms it was it's just madness mm. that that first and i can't imagine what it was like for yourself but that that first 24 48 hours 72 hours it was fucking madness it was it was madness I still hadn't even told my family I was actually in Ukraine. Oh wow! I would be telling them for the last like two two years. Uh, I was studying in Spain or just you know just around Europe, just doing my thing. But I never told them I had joined the military. Yeah, when and when did they find out? Uh, maybe about uh two or three weeks in. I was still in Odessa and. Uh, like I can't, I can't hold this in, you know, in anymore. I was on a blog post, and I finally just called my family and said, like, "I'm just here. If anything happens, I just want to give you a heads up." And like, well, you know, I can't stop you from doing what you want to do, and as long as you're happy and you're safe, like so somewhat safe, you know, mm. um, that's all I care about. And yeah, nothing. I thought they would be more, you know, frightened and upset, but not at all. They were very supportive. Yeah, that that's great. And, and how, you know, some of the notes you've um, you've sent me here, 
are a lot about yeah. um, and a lot about gripes. And if people see me peering off camera, I'm, I'm reading notes um, <laughs> about like gripes in amongst um, a lot to do with with the foreigners um, coming across. And I sort of just want to put quickly: how has some of the attitude changed? I guess from because you've got experience between. I like to say there's almost two fronts this was the 14 to 22 front, like the, you know, 14 to Feb 24 front. And then there's like the post that of like the, the full scale invasion. Um, how has like the attitudes of the foreigners changed from then? Was it before that there was these real serious guys who really gave a shit. And now from reading this, it sounds like people sort of trying to seek some Hollywood fame action. Definitely. So, Four, back in the day, you had foreigners coming as very low-key. It was people coming in with masks or they were just, they were, I, want, I don't want to say they're like a different ideology, but they're much more real is what I want to say. They were very low-key. They do their things. They're prior military. They were no shit. You like, they did, they wouldn't put up with anything at all. And now it's. It's very selfie warrior, influencer, people who come up, come over for two weeks at a time, get as many photos as they can and leave, or they're experiencing one shelling and post about it on social media and go home. And I know a lot of Ukrainians now have definitely, I'm not going to say they've turned their backs on foreigners, but if they hear a foreigner is coming to the unit before, they'd be like, oh, wow, cool, like we can learn something from this. But now it's more... It's someone getting in the way, and sadly, I've spoken to one commander, and they said from all the way from up top that, you know, commanders don't even want to deal with these foreigners, and some units have already started uh, blanket bans on foreigners from even joining. That's how bad it's gone. Yeah, wow. And that, that is, it's a real pity, isn't it? Yes, definitely. It's just, we could still be helping these people, and it's not like that anymore, man. It's people coming for their own personal gain to put money in their bank account. And a lot of these, uh, I always see like conspiracy theorists be like, oh, everybody in Ukraine is getting rich, but no, it's not. It's the only reason these people are getting rich is because foreigners are scamming. And it, I never see Ukrainian scam, it's just foreigners. Mm. The, the idea that Ukrainians getting rich is fucking stupid. Um, yeah, it, it's it, people don't understand people. People come from a small town somewhere and don't understand. Ukrainian villages aren't like your small country town. A lot of a lot of Ukraine is very very poor. You know the photos you see of partying and stuff in Kiev or Odessa. That is your one percent. Um, mm -hmm. The idea that money's going into Ukraine and it's lining the pockets of the average Ukrainian is is bullshit. There's a lot of money flowing into Ukraine, and I, I would absolutely say there are people, you know, some um, powerful people getting their pockets lined, and we've seen that happen again and again. But it's not the average Ukrainian. That's it's if, every right. conflict, no matter who it is oh, or what's Of course. Happening. Man, if it was some babushka who was skimming 100 bucks off the top, I'd be like, fucking good on you, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's going to buy you food and may, maybe make you some comfort and whatever. Um but it's not. It's these guys coming in from the West, all these already rich people who can take advantage of it, just like we've seen in every war. And I remember seeing uh, about two weeks ago, there was this post that really irked me, and it was 
this uh, American crying about how McDonald's in Kia was so great and how they're using U.S. tax dollars to fund this. Like, what the hell are you? T- these people have no idea what they're talking about, and they can just come here and see. That's it's not, you know, money trucks aren't being dropped off and people coming in and filling up their pockets. It's not not like that at all. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. It's yeah. There's a lot of um. There's so much information on both sides of this war. It's um. It's un- It's it's quite. It's it's quite impressive, actually. <laughs> uh, what is it that you think the media get wrong? Like, what is it that you see online? And I I consider Twitter and whatever as media now. Uh, what is it that you think most people get wrong about this conflict? I think that they a lot of these people think Ukraine is just one giant battlefield, and like when they when you think of Ukraine now, you think of Bakhmut, you think of Zaporizhia, you think these battles of just constant constantly going they think the whole all of ukraine is like this but it's just the front if you were to go maybe back even three kilometers in like Kherson, the city is somewhat it's repopulating and even then another 37 50 kilometers rear to mikolaev the city is completely normal again they think that this is just one big battlefield and have you fought in those areas? Uh, yes. So I have. I'm not going to say. So when people think fought, they as well they think of um, gun battles and house to house and in the trenches. Yeah, I've, I've gone to the trenches and I've gone to positions multiple times, plenty of times, and I've never seen an enemy. I I just get artillery struck. <laughs> like that's another thing too. So they think it's just one big giant, giant gun battle, but I've I've been here three years and I've never seen a Russian. I've, I've been hit with artillery countless times, with rockets, with mortars, AGS, with everything you could think of, but I've never seen a Russian, mm. even a tank and a drone. Yeah. And that's something that is very, very common amongst guys who I guess aren't talking shit, is they're like, man, you don't see the enemy. And you hear this from battles 100 years ago and you hear it from modern battles through many different theatres around the world, that it, it is very uncommon to actually see the enemy. Yeah, it's just the distance, uh, the noise in the distance, or that's all it is. I, but I never see Russians. Yeah. And what is your feeling towards the Russians? You know, you were there pre-24th of Fairban now. What what do you feel against, I guess, the Russian people and then the Russian soldiers? Uh, Russian soldiers, it's more, it, it is very much a strong hate because... There's, they've done a lot of uh, atrocities and they do execute our guys. That is one thing they like. People say, oh, the Russians, they don't, uh, at least far right people, like, oh, the Russians don't do this. They try to, they're trying to save the Ukrainian people, but that's not it at all. There's this thinking that they're going to liberate all these areas and people are going to come open arms with, to them, but no, it's not like it at all. The Ukrainians always fighting towards them and yeah, they they've executed some of our guys, and not even it's not like a rare occurrence either. Because I've spoken to some other foreigners, and they've had the same thing where they will have a soldier go missing for a few days, and then they'll fly a drone, or they'll, the Russians will retreat, and they find them lined up with their hands behind their back, just shot in the head. Mm. And uh, I remember too, there's this. Um, uh, Russian propaganda that 
the Ukrainians uh, are very against them, and they would pick on Russian speakers and just treat them like dog shit, you know? I'm sorry if I'm, I'm, if I'm cussing, but... Um, That's fine. Yeah, so they would say, oh, the Russians are bad. Oh, if you you caught speaking Russian, you're going to get beat up and all this other crazy things. But in my time here, I've never seen that at all. That was never an issue. The only, like, law that I've seen where it's against Russian speakers is you have to have Ukrainian uh, wording and spelling on a documents like official documents that's the only thing i've ever seen mm. but there was no general hate towards them now there's definitely this generations of hate you know these kids who are being brought up in this so they're going to see this for the rest of their life and continuously hate and they're going to tell their grandchildren and their grandchildren it's it's going to be a cycle of this hate for them uh russian population it's 50 50 we we all see them as kind of like uh, robots and zombies and yeah, they're people, but they are exposed to the Russian media 24 seven and it's all state controlled. So it is like, it is what it is, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's a very interesting, um, it, it, I find that the population there interesting because, you know, a lot of Russian people still have, you know, full access through VPNs to Instagram and, Telegram and especially Telegram and all these other chats. Um, so I, I somewhat think, and I've, I've even been, I can accuse myself of doing this, it was saying, oh, the Russian population only have access to their state media. And I'm like, oh, not really. Like, you know, I was, I'm able to talk to, like, as you've seen, I've interviewed a Russian soldier and, you know, it's, I'm able to do that and I'm part of the media. Um, like, they've got a fair bit of access. Um, yeah, it's, I don't know, it's, it's a, it's a very weird thing um, about about how the soil, and I, that's why I always ask. Is I'm very interested in how combatants see the civilians on the other side of this war. Whether you see them as like active participants, um, and I'm not meaning participating in combat. I mean participating in supporting that effort, or just they're civilians that don't know what's going on. It's it's a mix of both, definitely. Um, yeah, the average civilian we don't see as a like a combatant just because they support Russia. Yeah, they're, they're fucking idiots, but it's their choice to choose. And we hope that they continue to see what is happening here and maybe something will change their mind. But um, it's a very weird situation, as you said. Yeah. So, look, I, saw, I, I do want to go over some of these, like, um, these notes you've sent me. And look, um, feel free, man, to swear to carry on whatever like you know this is completely open you can say um whatever you want um and your identity will be um hidden by myself and all the only one who will bloody know um but i do think it's very very um interesting and a lot of what you say to me uh both on uh chat and you know through this is stuff that a lot of like my trusted guys like guys who are actually hitters like yourself are saying so like I like the top of the notes is just prefaced with why foreigners are shit. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, this is a small list. This is like five minutes of me and another guy just kind of jot down like off the top of our head some of the things we've seen and some of the problems. But it's just going to be like a hundred page, hundred page book. Well, well, let, let's let's start at that something that's not in this note. Why? 
are some foreigners very good? Because, you know, for, for the, some, you know, who absolutely spoil it, um, what goodness, for want of a better term, do foreigners actually bring to Ukraine and some of the units, especially in the beginning of this? Uh, so a lot of them were coming. Okay, so the originals were coming with a good amount of knowledge. They were very eager to teach and learn, and a lot of these people could adapt to the surroundings, and they wanted to be a part of Ukraine. And I feel like now it's more the main character syndrome where they don't want to learn the language, they don't want to do anything. They want Ukraine to change and change to their standards and their their needs. So like, if something is a NATO standard, they will flip out and they're like, oh, I can't do this, we can't do this, this is going to get a steal. But you, they need to understand it's not Iraq, it's not Afghanistan. These are Ukrainians. They have a, you know, a way of doing things. You can't just yell at them and treat them like a recruit. And, and that main character syndrome, I mean, there's no, just say many foreigners, uh, mainly American or British, have oh, main, yes. main character syndrome. Can you speak on that? Yeah, so again, I've noticed uh, they come in and they act like they can't get hit. So there was this one instance where we were on a position and this, this I'm not, I don't want to say it's nationality, but he, we told him, bro, there's a drone outside be very weary like you only go outside if you need to go outside because it's constantly there's a drone up right now and within like five minutes more are going to come because that's what they do they'll send out one and they'll send like an fpv or another dgi with a grenade so it's like surveillance and attacking and he's just like eh, like i don't care it's it is what it is they're russians they're stupid they're conscripts they're poorly trained compared to me you know and that kind of thinking and mentality gets us killed. They, and it's this, like, again, the same, the same dude did, did this multiple times. And later on in a few, few missions later, when this happened again, the got spotted by a drone and went to go take a shit. He was sitting on the toilet and a tank shot near and blew the roof off his toilet and he ran back and almost got the other guys killed. It's, <laughs> it's very crazy. Jesus, that is fun. Or they, uh, here's another example too. So they'll come in, make a big mess, and then they'll leave and do some type of podcast or write a book about their like two weeks here. When they really didn't do much or contribute anything to Ukraine. Mm. And now they have some fan base or following on Twitter, Instagram, or YouTube of, you know, re-showing the same footage and events over and over again and it's i don't understand it yeah well there's money in it mate you know money is the root of all evil there's money in books yes. there's money in podcasts there's money in all this shit there's money in instagram and twitter I, and you know i've seen personally uh guys who came here with good intentions and then they get a taste of the donation money and how quickly and easily and easy it is to access it and it just Corrupts them. Soon they, they stop buying the gear they need, the food, the fuel, and then they take this money and they go buy prostitutes, they go buy drugs, they do whatever the hell they want to do. Yeah. And when you try to call them out, you have a thousand people on Twitter and Instagram attacking you because they could never do anything wrong because they see one side of the coin. They see whatever they want to post and that's it. Mm. Yeah, well, let's, let's talk about that. So, 
um, going through this. It's like, um, we're down here, humani- humanitarians just being sexterous um, who do the bare minimum um, snapping selfies. Um, I can't read the name here. With prostitute, um, her son left and skipped villages between uh, Mikolaev and her son. Can you, can you talk about that? Yeah, so... Oh, I'm sorry. Did you say the guy's name? If you can just blur that out, if you did. I don't. No, I said I couldn't read it. I think. Uh, oh, sorry. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, so this is uh, also another thing. So when the Herson flooding first happened and they destroyed the Novokovka dam, yep. all these villages, all these areas became completely just flooded and up up to the roofs in water. Many people drowned. Animals displaced. People just stranded on islands and. You saw within 24 hours, hundreds of thousands of volunteer vehicles coming in. And that's great. Like, I love the sport. I love seeing that. But from Nikolaev to Hirson, there's still villages that were out there that were out there and no one helped them at all. We went in there uh, a week after the flooding had decided and we said, hey, have you received anything? And, and the villagers said, we haven't seen any like outsider or any anybody in like seven eight months since the liberation and they were just fending on basically just fending for themselves and then the prostitute experience that i saw so again this was another volunteer they said hey let's go meet this volunteer apparently he wants to come come help we go to his residency we go say hello and then immediately when he pops out, you see a prostitute just leave his leave his house. And like, okay, we well, yeah, we know this guy isn't here to actually help you to doing his own thing, you know, on an overstayed visa, doing whatever he wants to do and posting whatever he wants to see, whatever he wants people to see. And that was that. Yeah. Yeah, and it's it's true. You know, Ukraine was a place people went for sex tourism both before yeah. and after this war. Uh, but a lot of the money now that's being spent is meant to be in, you know, as you'll say, meant to be humanitarian or soldiers or whatever that's being absolutely spent on other things. And I wish you could have seen when the the water recited back to normal level, no, normal level, all these vehicles, within a week, they were gone. No, if I go outside now, no one would be there. I would not see one humanitarian or aid truck other than maybe like World Kitchen. Yeah. Are there any groups that are doing good that you see all the time? World, World Kitchen is definitely one of them. Um, mm. Red Cross, kind of. There's, I see them occasionally, but other than that, I really don't see humanitarian out here anymore. Yeah. They've gone to back to Kiev or Mikolaev. Yeah, World Kitchen, man. I, I, and, you know, it's funny you say it because I've said the exact same. When uh, late last year, working out of Kramatorsk and working in those regions, the only the only humanitarians I saw was World Kitchen. That that was it. I didn't like no one else. But there was meant to be like thousands of humanitarians working there. But that whole region from New York through Bakhmut up to Seversk, World Kitchen was the only people I'd, I'd seen the whole fucking time. Yeah, even when artillery is dropping down on the city, you'll see World Central Kitchen just out there still giving out meals. They're, they're definitely I would I give them props and they're. Not a, they don't get the, enough spotlight as they should. Yeah. So, in this as well, 
Um, you've got Ukraine has been hijacked by NAFO slash worthless people uh, yes. um, who come to take okay, a so selfie and leave. Just, that's kind of just like a personal like opinion, but even too on a Twitter and all that. Like I'm sorry, I hate being at Twitter because I, I Twitter is just the most scummy <laughs> website imaginable. Yeah, and um, yeah, all we see like women just like single. Sorry, a single middle-aged divorcee woman posting up NAFO memes, showing off their tits like. My russophobia is stowed in my tits. Like, come on, like, they're, they're, use, they're using Ukraine just to get likes and comments and donations to buy me a coffee or all this other stuff. Yeah. And also, I've seen, too, a lot of uh, these, um, I don't know how to say it, but, like, um, they, they attach whatever ideolo- ideology or sex- sexuality or whatever nonsense they want to Ukraine. So they promote it with Ukraine and they kind of use that as a way of people accepting them and their, whatever they're promoting. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's, it's one of those things to see with like that sort of that NAFO bandwagon is mm-hmm. so much hatred in it. Um, openness to, to dox people. Um, but as yes, well, I've experienced you've experienced that as well. Yes. Yeah. Um, and so, no criticism. I, like you, you, I think criticism in in everything. Like you can criticize anything, um, and criticism is very, very important. If you can't criticize things, then you have an echo chamber and everything goes to shit. Um, mm-hmm. That you you can criticize things. You can say things aren't going well, or this could be going better. Um, but sorry to cut you off. What was your experience with that? So these naval naval people were dots and. They have this very backwards, and they don't they don't see what Ukraine is actually like. They see it from like a Twitter or whatever they see on the news is what you know. They try to sorry, I'm mixing my words. They see what what is posted about Ukraine online by their supporters, and and it's not like that at all. It's a very conservative, very peaceful, <laughs> somewhat peaceful now, but old-fashioned society and a lot of these like NAFO guys have very radical progressive like views on what Ukraine is when it's not like that at all and if you try to say oh no it's not like that they immediately jump on you and will send their followers and their everything they'll send everybody at you to try to get you canceled try to contact your work I had somebody contact try to contact my um, command here in Ukraine saying to get you kicked out because you like you don't support fat people like what the hell are you talking about like that doesn't mean anything in Ukraine. yeah especially when you're there actually fighting and these people are sitting on twitter <laughs> with a cat as their profile picture making posts about shit mm-hmm. and, and that's one thing I, I you actually bring up a really good point in that that ukraine is a deep deeply religious very conservative country um it's what I would think Europe would have been like 30, 40 years ago. And that's why a lot of people love Ukraine too, like love going there before the war. Um, Cause I see that some of the Western sort of European countries have lost their way a bit and they, you know, they, they love that aspect of it. Um, yeah. But some of the like ultra progressive stuff I say, I'm like, that shows me that you've never actually been to Ukraine as well. Um, don't make out like Ukraine is the same um, like progressive state as like a Scandinavian country or what like it's like 
no, uh, that shows me you're sitting in your basement and you, you, you're drinking the Kool-Aid of what you're being told. Is that It's not like that. And we actually had a, one of these people get attached to my unit and he did not last very long here at all before he was given the boot. Right. And what was that for? It was just his uh, mentality, him trying to... So when he immediately came to us, he was very aggressive and, you know, trying to start arguments of how we should think, how we should accept him. And even though no one said anything bad at all, it's Ukraine, it's a war. We, we can't be focusing on this, you know, what sexuality are, what, what you think and what you, you worship. You just come, you fight. That's what we want. This guy was very in your face, like, oh, if you don't basically promote me or my sexuality, you're the enemy. And we let him know within the first week. And then there was other incidents with possible drug use and him just not being mentally stable enough for the war. So we just gave him the boot within two weeks. And then immediately takes to Twitter, starts trying to dox us, trying to caused issues and that was it and um as far as i know he's been blacklisted from all of the ukrainian military he's hiding somewhere in kiev right now yeah right and what about this in your notes of um many foreigners behind closed doors will say fuck ukraine um and yes. ukrainians but then the same day praise them praise them online yeah so i've seen that a lot too and that's not my team because my team is very my team has been made up of other people who have been in Ukraine for years and love this country, that have ties to the country now. And so this is uh, one thing I've seen. People will basically get heated or something or when the command doesn't want them to do, when the command tells them to do something and they don't want to do it, they will say like, oh, like, fuck Ukraine, fuck Ukrainians. They're all stupid slobs. They're all backwards hillbillies or stuff like that and then literally within 24 hours it'll be the completely opposite they'll be posting about how ukraine is this beautiful great country with a beautiful history and a people that are just like them and i i see it all the time and then you have people commenting like wow you're you're a hero they really need to appreciate what you're doing and then they'll throw money yeah and you think so much of that is just is just money donation driven Yes, definitely, definitely. Mm. It's uh, not just money, but it's also building up egos and having, um, you know, a fan, like the fan base really pushes it. Like I said, they can they only see one side of what they they post. Yeah. And when you try to call them out, or they're like, "Hey, I served with this dude. He's actually a piece of shit <laughs> who doesn't give a shit about Ukraine." They're like, "Oh, he would never do this. He was, you know." This post from two two days ago says he loves Ukraine. You're a liar. Like I served with this guy. I lived with him twenty four seven. I see what he does. I know what, what he's like. I know what he spends his money on. I know what he eats, drinks, everything about him. Yeah, that's that. And I, I want to say the term the currency of clicks too. And, and I'm a I'm an online figure, I guess, who's involved in this and. You know, I'm not immune to the narcissistic feeling that it feels like good being relevant and liked and getting <laughs> likes online. And I don't know what bit of brain it tickles, like, but it's like this primitive 
thing of liking that and wanting that, you can go down that rabbit hole very quickly, man. Um, like I'm, I'm very open about it, but yeah, people want to be liked and want to be seen to the right thing online more so than in real life, if that makes sense. Like people would rather people, real people think they're an asshole, but their Twitter follows think they're a hero, which is just fucking weird. But this like currency of clicks is a real thing. And many people would sacrifice their, um, physical money for like online relevance, if that makes sense. Yeah, they'll give it way more than that, not just money, but they're, I've seen people throw away their families back home, their wives, their kids to come out here and, you know, feed off that positive energy from this, their followers and supporters on online. And I have another example too. Um, this was, I was, like I said, I was in the Marine Corps and I served with the guy for like a month or two on a course and we ended up staying in contact and after I got out, I came here and he went a different road and wasn't happy with his life at all. I said, Hey, just come up to Ukraine. You can start over. You can still be in that military, have that brother, that brotherhood and um, camaraderie you're kind of missing. And he's like, No, fuck you. He literally said, Fuck Ukraine. I'm not fighting in anybody else's war. This is when Don Bass had the um, ceasefire as well. Like, I don't, I, I don't care. Like, I just want to do drugs. <laughs> word for word, he said to me, I just want to do drugs and like drink and sleep with women. Basically, like basically word for word. And then when the invasion happens a weekend, I get a message from him and he's like, Hey bro, sorry, I couldn't come anytime sooner. There was just money issues. And will you speak to your command and let me join you. I was like, no, like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> I, I know, I remember what you said. I can send you the screenshots right now of you saying, fuck Ukraine. And he ended up coming out here, but he lasted maybe a month getting tossed around each, maybe three units because they just didn't want to deal with his bullshit of lying about his military service and all this other craziness. Yeah, right. And how is it with the, because you hear some absolute horror stories from uh, like the Legion's command um, and other commanders out there. What What is your take on that? Um, excuse me, can you repeat that? Sorry about that. No, um, sorry. You, you hear some horror stories about some um, treatment towards foreigners from commanders, um, especially in like the foreign legion. Uh, what is What is your take on that? Um, so it, it's very concerning because it's like I said, it's people, it's foreigners spending their own money, their own time coming out here to help. And they do get, they, some of them do get fucked over by these commands. And I've, I've spoken to some because we've had people from the foreign legion itself end up in my unit, which I'm, I'm not associated with, associated with the foreign legion, but we do get some other guys when they had enough and they want to try to be in like a real Ukrainian unit. And from what I've seen and what I've heard, it's a lot of foreigners causing issues and that's what it, it like snowballs, you know, and they, that's why they fuck over the other foreigners as well. Yeah. And, and what's your experience been in your time on Ukraine? Um, not only, um, you know, during this invasion, but, you know, before that as well, with things like um, corruption? Uh, I personally have never seen it. I've never seen any type of corruption in my unit or 
And another unit, I've heard of corruption maybe once through a news article about someone stealing helmets and gear. But other than that, I've never seen any sort of corruption at all. No missing weapons, no misusing, I don't know, food from the chow hall or stealing pay from other soldiers, nothing like that. Honestly, 100% could say I've never seen corruption. Right. I guess it, it definitely differs uh, unit to unit massively then. Yes, unit to unit, definitely. But um, I've had friends who have served in like Carpathian sick and they had they definitely saw some corruption. And they used to tell me how weapons would go missing, how they weren't getting paid. I had a guy there for three months. He came from Chile and he would actually come to Ukraine in the early days, like 2015, 2016, to come and help train in right sector. And that was his thing. He always wanted to come to Ukraine and help. And when he finally got that wish and ended up joining in this Carpathian Sikh Brigade, they, he described it as a revolving door as people coming in and just coming out. And that was actually the unit where they had the American who, I think his name was John McIntyre. I'm not entirely sure, but he defected to the Russian side. Yes. Yeah, right. That's yeah. That, that's um, fairly wild with his whole story about that. Yeah, and there's a there's there are some units that definitely have a lot of uh, corruption, and it's it is getting taken care of. That's all I can say. Right. And and what's your experience been with with the ideology? You mentioned they're like right sector. Um, what has been your um, experience with that, or? I guess even your personal feelings towards it. You know, I, I don't know your um, political biases, um, as everyone has them, but, you know, is that something you're attracted to? You're not? Something you've, you've seen? I, I don't know. Can you just speak on that? Uh, actually, I, I have no ill thoughts towards the right sector. Um, when I first came to Ukraine, actually, the guy who was helping me get in with paperwork, he was prior to right sector. He was a foreigner as well, and... Um, yeah, and I've had people in my battalion, the, now it's the official military, but I've had people who were in right sector that transferred over, and they have all been very good guys. They would serve without pay. They would do any mission you tell them to without complaining. Any gear, it didn't matter. They were just ready to fight and die for Ukraine. And I have nothing but respect for right sector at all. Yeah, right. And, and have you seen any ill treatment of like um like russian prisoners any pow's anything like that uh personally i have not mm -hmm. um i've seen because like i'm in a group chat sometimes with uh my other soldiers in my battalion and they've come across russians and when they post about taking prisoners uh they treat them with respect always they give them first aid they ask them what's wrong they need water they just make sure they're all right. Cause we, we need, we need Russian prisoners. We can't just go around executing them. We have guys in prison, in Russian prisons who have been there for months for so, since the very beginning of the war, just waiting to get traded out. So it's not in our interest to kill these people. Not at all. Yeah. Well, that is the stupid thing when you see, uh, and you, this is both sides. And I, you know, I'll say that there has absolutely been footage of, 
Russians um, executing Ukrainians and Ukrainians executing Russians. Um, mm-hmm. Now, thank God, it's not as common, at least publicly in the in the video sphere. At uh, least not super common, at least anymore. Um, thankfully, but it's so silly because you're like, well, both of you have soldiers who are POWs on the other side. Killing a POW does nothing for you. You can't swap that mm-hmm. back. It, it, you're just throwing away your bargaining chips if you just kill a guy. It's, I'd rather him go get sent to a Ukrainian prison and sit there for a month, just you know, cleaning and eating, or even they sometimes even send them back to the bases to go do yard work. Like it, it doesn't make sense to kill them. It's not beneficial at all. And if I was to see that, oh, I would be upset. Trust me, we all would be upset because we have guys there who we want to see come back, who want to you know, go back to their families and just be done with this. Yeah. And and where do you see this going? You know, you've got your finger more on the pulse than someone like I and all these other, and I include myself in these dickheads online who are part of this online sphere of content. Um, where do you think that this counteroffensive currently is going or your experience or what you're sort of hearing on the grapevine? How, how's that going and where is it going? It, it is going, but it's just going slow, and I can't really, I'm sorry, I just can't really speak on it, but from, yes, it's slow, but we're, we are seeing results, we are taking ground, we are, the the best is yet to come, as they say. Yeah, right. And as well as, you know, we hear, you know, I've never fought the Russians, um, but you hear, like you mentioned earlier in this, about like Amer- uh, that American bloke, I think you said, or one of the Western soldiers being like, Ah, oh, you know, whatever. They're all dumb and slow and shit. Soldiers are way better mm-hmm. trained. How has been you know, your and your colleagues' experience going up against um, the Russian forces? Is it is is that correct, or are there units? Because I talked to a guy. Um, I won't say his name, but you guys probably know each other. Um, mm-hmm. And he was like, "Man, there are conscript soldiers who are day one, week one, fucking no idea what they're doing." And then we went up against the Chechen SF, and they were fucking good to go. Uh, and then yes. went up some VDV, oh, and they were very fucking good as well, doing night raids under under nods. Um, so, so what's your take? And I guess the word on that. You just got to treat every enemy with the same, I guess, caution. It, it's, even if it's a conscript with an AK, it's still an enemy with an AK. It's a just as deadly, you know. So, I would just be on my toes constantly. You can't talk down someone just because they have better equipment or sorry talk down someone because they have worse worse equipment they can still kill you so just proceed with caution always yeah but are there units that are you know um fairly capable on the ground yes yes definitely and uh as soon we have these um open source maps we're always looking at and you can see what units are there and kind of guesstimate what they have and there are definitely very capable Russians near us. Right. Yeah, it's interesting because that's just not something that is very shared. Um, and this is, I think, something that, in this goes back to the you're allowed to be critical of things because if the whole idea is that every Russian is just a conscript, they're shit, blah, 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 then it's like... Yeah, well, we would have won already. You would have won already. Why is the counteroffensive going so slow? Why is there so much bloodshed? Um you know, you need to say, well, there are units that are shit. There are units that are incredibly capable as well. And I, even too, a lot of uh, these people think that 
these Russians are just small <laughs> Asiatic people with steel helmets and hose in the gaunts and outdated uniforms. But you got dudes out there with brand new AK 12s, nods, say they are gear, lightweight plates, everything you can think of with a ton of FPV support and artillery and all of this. Like, you can't just think the enemy is going to be one type of person because it's not. There's a big variety of what you're trying to kill out there and that wants to kill you. Mm. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen any of my stuff. Is there anything that you think that I get wrong or that I've interpreted wrong or someone I've interviewed that is that is incorrect? Uh, actually, I haven't seen any of your interviews at all. I will just pass your name. Like, hey, you should speak to this guy. He's a pretty good good dude. He says what he he doesn't try to distort the image and interview at all. Just speak your mind, and that's it. Ah, that's uh, that's the best way to be. Um, <laughs> I thought I'd ask just in case because I've got a lot of people. Every time I interview like a foreign soldier, other foreign soldiers reach out and be like, "Who the fuck's that? They're wrong." <laughs> and I'm like, "Ah, oh, fuck." <laughs> um, I'm caught in this love triangle. <laughs> but I just thought that that's interesting because you know I'm I'm going to get things wrong. People get things wrong. Um, you know I haven't I haven't fought there. Um, and that's why I'm so so interested in guys like yourself to you know, actually hand me that like first hand information. Mm-hmm. And what do you think needs to improve in Ukraine for you know better results on the front line? Uh, a little bit more training. I would want to say that's like a actually a big thing. But also, um, we need more supplies. We need more ammunition. We need more. We need drones. That's another thing. We need FPVs. We could do so much damage. And uh, a lot of these Russian, I always see it on Russian Telegram channels because I subscribe and I look at what they're doing and what they post as well to get information. And they're pumping out drones left and right. They have factories where they can produce basically like 100 FPVs in a week or not even a week, but like a day. And for us, it's very slow. We got to raise money. We got to find the right people. We got to put in some order and every all this takes time, you know, and we have to be very proactive and a lot of these Ukrainian units aren't really, they're more reactive, you know, they, when something bad happens, then they will change what they do, but we need to step it up. And how, how just how deadly are those drones on that front line? Are both, I mean, like ones from the opposing force and your own. Very deadly. They don't. So I could, I've been with a drone team before and, they just need to find an area, sit down, fly, and hit. That's it. They can just pull up another one and another one, and it costs them nothing to do this. They can just strap on an RPG head, which they have plenty of, or grenades. Again, they have plenty of, and it's, it puts little to no risk on them. And for us, it's a big thing because we have boats, we have tanks, we have all these other things in you know, the rear that are still very close and within range, and it's it's a, it's a threat. These little drones can fly into windows. They can fly into doorways. They can, they're, they're very hard to, you know, stop. Yeah, I saw a video of that today, a Ukrainian drone flying in the fucking window of, like, one of your, you know, high, oh, your, your commie block-style apartments um, and killing something. I'm like, holy fuck, like, it's it's completely changed the aspect of warfare yeah. and it's only like 500 600 dollars to make yeah 
plug in the file into the 3D printer, print it out, install the components. That's it. And in my opinion, we I, I can't think of another weapon system in the last decades that has changed warfare as much as the cheap drone has. Not even close to it. Um, and in my fear is for you know infantrymen like yourself is that this is actually probably just the beginning of what we've actually seen these drones are fucking capable of. Yeah, Ukraine really needs to step it up and just start having some type of factory or workshop. We we need these. We need many as many as we can get. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes we'll have Russian columns of BTRs and trucks just going down the road like it's nothing because we just don't have the amounts that we need. We can't do anything. Yeah, that, that's that's a disappointment, isn't it? If, if you could do something, but you don't have the actual physical equipment to do it. And what's next for yourself? I honestly don't know. I, I keep saying I'm going to stay and finish the war and live out here, but I really don't know. I'm, I'm tired. I want to. I'm I'm getting older, you know. I want to I want to start a family. I want to have a wife and kid. I'm just I'm just tired. Yeah. And have you lost many friends out there? Uh, sadly, I've lost maybe one or two, but that's small in comparison to other units who have lost like tens and just tens of people. Yeah. And if you lost your own life, do you think you'd is that the sacrifice you're willing to make? I guess that's a silly question, but yeah, it's it is what it is. This life is death. I, I signed the contract. I know what's the risk out here. I knew this, the the risk when I signed the contract for the Marine Corps, and I didn't do anything. But it is what it is. You know, if I die, I die. I've accepted it. I'm happy. I've lived a life, a really good life, in a short amount of time. Yes. And what is there any lessons that this war has taught you? Like, if you were writing almost something um, philosophical about this, is there any like lessons of war and combat that you've you've learnt? Just be ready to ready to adapt. Be open to accepting advice and criticism from like a younger soldier's perspective. Don't just be in that one mindset that your way is the right way because. It's, it's not. It's not like that at all. Mm. Oh, mate, it's it's very interesting. Uh, look, look, I really do. Um, I really do appreciate you taking the time out and actually and talking to me a bit to me about this and being honest about, you know, some of these dickheads um, <laughs> that come that come out and just trying to do this. The, the one thing I do want to talk on. Um, but look, look, mate, is there anything else that you think we haven't talked about that you want to? You want to talk about get off your chest? We can speak for as long or as short as you like. Uh, I'm not really sure. If you have any questions, I'll answer. Like I said, as truthfully and real as possible. But that hit was a thing that, like I said, I had that big paper of notes and we hit everything on the head. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I'm, I'm very interested in like that stuff um, you sent across. And I do appreciate you and your, your other mate like writing all that out for me. Um, mm -hmm. I, I'm more just like, you know, people love a bit of like, I don't know if you have the, the, um, 
the term warry in any like war stories you can talk of um, or anything like that or anything you people might find interesting? Mm, like I said, I, I've never seen the enemy, so every time I go out there, I just get hit with artillery and mortars and drones. And There's never really been... Work is work, that's what I'm going to say. It's, there's nothing really interesting, but barracks life in Ukraine before the war is <laughs> very funny. <laughs> you get paid very little. We had... <laughs> People always begging for money, for food, going to the river, catching uh, crabs and going out hunting because the food on the base was just so terrible. And it was very old school military, you know, I really miss that kind of life and living in the barracks, like a 1950s Soviet style barracks where you have no privacy at all and you're constantly living and fighting and, you know. With, with your friends and your brothers, and I love that. I love that type of life. And I really wish the uh, U.S. military and even the other international militaries would go back to that because compared to Ukraine, it's very relaxing. You would say you have your own room, you have your own... You, maybe you don't have your own kitchen, but you have a shared kitchen and a, a big lounge, a big walk-in closet, your own bathroom basically and yeah you uh ukraine you don't have that at all you're constantly living with these people you're training right behind your barracks you're always on the move always on a field off in my first six months in the ukrainian army army i was in the field maybe five months and you think that makes better soldiers oh definitely definitely you're you're living together, you're being together, you you know everything about your other troops, how you train, you're constantly, you know, evaluating each other and how you can get better. You it it, it makes a much better soldier. You can trust these people more. Yeah. You as the US military, it's once work is once work is done, people will go to their house off base and that's it. You're like well they'll go lock themselves in their room because they can afford a nice computer or a nice phone, go up clubbing and drinking, but you can you you can never do that. You're kind of forced to just be with each other, and that definitely helps. It makes everything more enjoyable and makes a better troop. Yeah, we gotta revert back to the old old military. That's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, and no, I get I get that, man. I I um know any of the same experiences this, but. Like at the school of infantry, say to when then you go on um, as a young soldier, then you become like you know uh, uh, you work your way through the ranks. You lose that, like you're like oh, I've got more money, so I can live off the base, and you're not communal with the boys anymore. You're not doing it, and you're like you lose a bit of that like arminess. Like you're like oh, it's just yeah. a nine to five or a seven to four job now. Like this is just what I do for a gig. It's not like all consuming, drinking, fighting, fucking everything like with the lads anymore. And even to uh, Ukraine is very, they, they're using the term super soldier or universal soldier. They get trained on everything. It doesn't matter if it's our job. We're learning how to do it. We're learning how to fix standard cars, how to drive armored vehicles, how to use 
it's a grenade launcher, like mounted grenade launchers and machine guns, how to jump out of a helicopter. We've done that before, how to do everything. And I, I really hope the U.S. military and other militaries start doing that, start pushing soldiers and Marines and sailors to learn stuff outside their own job. So if someone goes down or a piece of equipment goes down, they can get that gun up or that just keep on, keep on rolling. Yeah. Oh, absolutely for sure. That's it's one thing I noticed working with the, with the Yanks, like with the Americans is because they seem to have so many people that there's not as much cross training across like individual soldiers. It's like, oh no, this guy just does that, that he doesn't learn a variety just because it's such a massive organization with people in specific jobs. Yeah, no, no. In my experience too with the US, so whenever I would ask for like trying to do cross training, it's such a pain with the bureaucracy having to submit a paper that's got to be read by like a thousand people just to get approved or denied. And US, uh, Ukraine isn't like that at all. You can just go to the commander and say, is there any open courses? And he'll say, yes, no. Not to the commander, but to the, you know, the platoon platoon commander before it goes to up top, but they would basically see what's available and they could send you on a course to do whatever you want to do. And it's, I love that. I I just hate the being restrained by your own command like you do, like you are in the U.S. military. Yeah, we're we're very much the same. The bureaucracy around trying to do external training, trying to do anything is just it's so counterproductive, man. It's fucking insanity. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff we could be doing, but we just were never doing it. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Well, bro, um, look, I, unless there's anything else, I really, really do appreciate uh, you coming to talk with me, giving you a perspective, um, as well as my doors. Doors always open both privately and publicly um, to reach out and vent or talk shit or put something on here. It's um, always available then. <laughs> Sorry, what did you say? I said, I definitely talk shit. Oh, yeah. Probably. No, no, it's <laughs> good. No, well. Yeah, if you ever have any questions or want to experience Ukraine again with uh, my unit, just give me a heads up and I'll try and show you around. Fuck, man. That'd be, um, I think it'd be pretty wild cruising around with you lads. <laughs> Get on a boat, cross across the river, assault the position. Who knows? <laughs> Jesus Christ. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if I'm... Um, <laughs> I don't know if I'm up to that. You guys with your fucking guns and me with my camera just on the boat. <laughs> I might get fucking smoked. <laughs> Maybe I need to do some more running. <laughs> no worries, no worries. Easy. Well, bro, thank you so much. Um, oh, thank you. Look after yourself. Look after your boys out there. Um, as well as any of your boys who want to talk, whatever, um, including yourself, just, just fucking reach out, man. It's um, always available. I'm going to go. Thank you as well. Take care, man. Easy, bro. Look after yourself. Okay. Bye-bye.